of Matter, the first ever podcast of the Institute of Refrigeration Women's Network, with the not-so-catchy title, as we've realised, of IOR Women in RACHP. This is the first of a series of podcasts planned on many different subjects affecting the industry's women and highlighting these to influence a more diverse RACHP sector for the future. Episode one of States of Matter, 100 Years of Rebel Women. I'd like to introduce you to my lovely co-host, Lisa Jane Cook and our fabulous panel of amazing women, Lisa Pogson, Samantha Buckle, and Nancy Johnson. With industry experience exceeding 100 years between us, we're all here to talk about the career highlights, the lowlights, and hopefully some of those embarrassing moments will come out along the way. We've all had them. Before we jump in, uh, we are here to celebrate International Women in Engineering Day, brought to us by the Women's Engineer Society. In WED, gives women engineers around the world a profile when they're hugely underrepresented in their professions. WES prove a vital role in encouraging more young women and girls to take up engineering careers aligned with the RACHP sector. Only 17% of engineers are women. It is an exciting time to be a woman in the RACHP industry as we witness change. And as chair of our network, I see firsthand the hard work and the volunteering that goes in to develop the future and more diverse sector from a number of inspiring men and women. The Women in RACHP Network are a steering group of individuals with diverse background of roles and experience, directing their passion to make the industry great and attracting talent for a successful future. I hope you enjoy your time with us this afternoon and I'll ask you, Lisa Jane, first of all, to introduce yourself and get the conversation started. Thanks, Karen. Oh, it's really good to be here, isn't it? just to um, get together and celebrate Women in Engineering Day together. So I'm Lisa Jane Cook. I'm a trustee at the IOR um, and I work at GEA, as you can see from my background. Now, Karen mentioned 100 years um, of Rebel Women. So I think the first thing we should really do is just share how long we've all been in the industry. So I've been in the industry now for 22 years. That's your first 22 years of that block gone. How long have you been with us, Karen? Um, all in all, 28 years, um, 23 years of my time at Daikin. But yeah, I think like most, I, I stumbled into it straight out of school, really. So we've already hit the halfway mark <laughs> with you and I. Um, Sam, how long have you been with us? Um, well, only six years. So I feel a little bit like I'm uh, lagging behind a bit. But um, yeah, six years and very happy. Many more to come, I hope. Is that six years with Bitsa? It is, yes, six years with the same company. So, yes, I came from a non-refrigeration background to Bitsa. Do you see yourself leaving anytime soon? Do you think you're going to be sticking around with us in refrigeration? <laughs> uh, well, obviously, I have to say that I'll be in refrigeration forever. <laughs> I don't want any exclusives on the podcast. But no, I haven't got any uh, plans to move yet, so no. I just ask because, you know, people do tend to stay here. And I think, you know, you're saying it's only six years, but, you know, you'll retire with us. I'm really sure of that, that once you're in, you don't leave. And um, what about yeah. you, Lisa Pogson? How long have you been knocking around the industry? Uh, in construction itself, I've been in 37 years since I left school. Wow. And uh, actually oh, yeah. in Air Master uh, <laughs> since 1995. So, yeah, th we're 30 years old as a business this year. So it's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. So we're up to 86 years. And um, yeah. Nancy, how long have you been in the industry? 
I graduated as an engineer more than 25 years ago, and I'm not going to say how many more years ago it was than that. And uh, yeah, I've been working specifically with heat pump technology since uh, probably 2005. So uh, yeah. There we go. There's our 100 years between us. Um, So can I ask you, Nancy, what it is you do within the industry? So I, I work as an independent consultant in the heat pump sector. And at the moment, I'm supporting the Heat Pump Association with policy development activities, uh, helping them uh, to, to formulate their position, uh, those members to formulate their position on different government initiatives. Um, and yeah, basically try and help support the uh, country to meet its target of 600,000 heat pump installations by 2028. It's quite a target, isn't it? It's a massive target from where, where the market is at the moment. But yeah, um, I think all the good building blocks are there. Uh, Industry is well motivated and uh, some good uh, some good players in the market, um, you know, starting to uh, starting to kick off and really, really try and uh, tackle that target. Yeah. So what is it that you really love about your job? So, so, you know, obviously you have been in the industry for a long time. What's sort of kept you here? What, you know, what do you love most? I really enjoy the variation and the uh, yeah the camaraderie. I mean, I know I haven't worked in the industry for a long while, and particularly I started off in the heating industry um, before yeah focusing in on the heat pumps. So it's just a lot of contacts and 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 good company, really good people that you 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 get to know and you work with over the years. Um, and you find that maybe you don't speak to one person for a few years, but a few years later, you're back in contact and uh, working on a particular project or initiative again together. Appreciate the interest and the variation. Yeah. And it's interesting you sort of say about, you know, the people you work with in the community, because I think that's something that we as an industry boast quite strongly is that we've got a fantastic community. And I think that's really helped us and our group networking to really sort of grow what we're doing, because a lot of the people we work with are really receptive to, to what we want and how we want the industry to go. So I think we're quite lucky, actually, to have that community. Um, so, Sam, could you tell us a little bit about your role at Bitsa and what it is you really love about it? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm personal assistant to managing director, which is the role I've had for the past six years. Um, it's right up my street, basically. It's admin um travel all the things you'd associate with a personal assistant job but because I worked at Arup the consulting engineering company for 15 years I had experience there with the connect women group at Arup and um Steve and Miriam heard about that and then invited me to join this group which was great and and I think I'm quite lucky even my roles have been very admin based if you put signs out there whether you do it subconsciously or not that you're interested in other things you generally sort of roll into other things so like at Arup I do exhibition organizing and really large event organizing including the connect women and then here because I started being involved with the institute and Kevin supported that I've been able to get involved in lots of things that I perhaps wouldn't be able to get involved in if I'd just been doing the role here. So I think I'd have to agree with Nancy. I really like connecting with different people. I like being involved with different things. I do like working with Lisa and the IOR and arranging events and stuff. I find that rewarding. But, I mean, I find it rewarding when I get a good fire assessment every year. You know, I literally am cartwheeling going, woohoo! So, you know, it's different folks, different strokes, isn't it? But, um, yeah, being involved 
with this committee means that I can get involved with schools and things like that because I feel really strongly about women, you know, being um, more in the industry, being more seen in the industry. That I feel really strongly about that in life. So that's nice that that's overlapping into my professional life. I think that's another really important point as well about, you know, getting involved. So if you're a woman in the industry who really wants to maybe push your career a little bit more or do something outside of your day job to get involved in groups like ours, it opens up opportunities for you to learn and to network and, you know, just to to get to know the rest of the industry and not maybe even just the people, but the other areas that you might not have known about. Um, Absolutely. You know, definitely definitely. for people that are looking to sort of move along and and sort of do a little bit more in their career, get in contact with us or some of the other groups um, and get involved. Um, So, Lisa Pogson, could you tell us a little bit about your job and what it is that's sort of led you to stay for as long as you have? Yeah, so so Airmaster um, started as a family business and it was my brother-in-law that started it. Um, and that was in 92. And I was in the background to that, doing bookkeeping and admin, a bit like what Sam's saying, and being really proud of all that, getting contracts in place, contracts of employment and things just sort of helping to get them started but that's grown the business grew from a small business of a few people and now we've got 40 staff lots of subcontractors and I've been managing director now for five years was joint managing director and um and sadly Mark passed away but I've uh, been managing director since 2016 I'm really proud of, of the team that's around me that I think of my job more as supporting them because they're brilliant at what they do I'm not an engineer and I'm you know, quite openly say I'm not an engineer, although after the last meeting that we had like this, Lisa Jane, I am looking into becoming an engineer because she said you can always do it. Um, but yeah, I, I just think, you know, being around people and helping them do their job really is what I'm, is what I'm good at. So um, it, yeah, yeah, it is what you're good at. Um, and it's really nice to hear that you're considering you know sort of looking at engineering and studying it and that's another thing that I really love about the group that we've got on the network and it isn't just limited to to our small group but the wider network is women supporting other women um and just you know sharing the stories you might not think that your story is really that important or anybody be interested but actually there's a lot of people that want to know what it's like and why we're still here after so many years um so I'm just going to come back to Karen and just if you could tell us a little bit about your role. I mean, you, you've recently changed, haven't you? So it's, it's a bit of a yeah. new direction. Um, I think probably one of the, the real bonus of working at Dyke in such a global um, corporation came in really sort of followed maybe a sales route, sales journey. So working in the office uh, as a sales support and then was offered the opportunity to become a, a sales engineer external, which I was a bit like, no way, I can't do that. Um, and then I just learned to drive as well, I think. I was about 24. Uh, I was a bit of a late bloomer. But the um, just to go out, and I think, as we've all spoken about, it, it is the people and the, the customers that I met with along the way, um, the, the teams I work with, the people that have mentored me and supported me through my career, men and women. I think you're lucky within Daikin that you have that support. I... I don't know how I ended up in management. I think it was always something. I like making change and and developing things. And that was through my sales journey, then moved into sales management. And I developed into like a 
a national specification role about six years ago, which I always talk of my proudest moment because I think it was something I didn't know much about, but actually just went and learned as much as I could within the space of four years. And I think that is important as well. We've all spoken about is, is put yourself forward. Don't wait for that training course to come to you or for someone to recognize you. Go and do it and say you're interested. Um, and then, yeah, in April, I decided to take on a new challenge within Daikin, sort of looking at our customer service as a business. So, again, really something I'm passionate about, something I don't know a lot about. I know about good customer service because I know what I expect, but really learning now to kind of how we develop that and improve and, and, and a total change of job role, which I think is is nice and refreshing as well. So, yeah, really enjoying it. I guess that was probably quite a, a big decision to make as well, that change of direction. Yeah, Did I, it... think I, I decided to sort of, I really enjoyed what I was doing. Um, it's a lot of pressure within sales, but it was also something that I wanted to go and do something that I knew would improve our business and improve what we do, uh, which is why I wanted to really just go and do that. I'm I'm passionate about the industry, but I'm also, after 23 years, I'm very passionate about Daikin and what we do and having a voice in, in the change and things like that as well. So, um, yeah, found that as somewhere where I could really develop what we're doing and, and learn a lot more and add more to, to my career, really. Because we've talked before about how sometimes women are less likely to go for these opportunities. So actually you going for that and, you know, you will make a success of it. You've been successful, you know, for as long as you have, you've done really well for yourself. Has anybody got any stories like that, sort of any turning points in their career? So, you know, perhaps there was an opportunity that come up and you weren't really sure, you know, you were a bit nervous about doing it, but actually now you're really glad that you did. Nancy? So one opportunity that came up for me, I was quite a recently graduated engineer. I'd been working perhaps two years after graduation uh, and the company I was working for at the time um, were uh, owned by a, a Finnish company um, and they offered me uh, the chance, the opportunity to go and live and work in Finland. I just bought my first house at the time, uh, probably about three or well, six months prior. And uh, yeah, that was a real, oh, do I go, don't I go? And then I thought, oh, Finland you know I'll never I don't know the language I don't know the people I don't know the country and I thought well if I don't go I'll, I'll, I'll never find out will I um so I went there um and then eventually ended up also um so I was working on a really interesting project with engineers from different companies it was a research project um and then had the opportunity to move to a, a company part of the company in Sweden as well which is where I then met my future to be husband <laughs> so uh yeah life uh life brings some uh, some interesting challenges and changes and that was a great opportunity for me and that again that must have been quite nerve-wracking to actually make that jump like you say you couldn't speak the language you didn't know anybody it was oh yeah yeah mm. and um yeah just it was just at the time when the internet was coming out so you know I, <laughs> my 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 idea of trying to catch up on the news was to go down to the local uh, library and find a two-day-old newspaper from uh, from England um so yeah it was was tough at times but yeah really interesting and great to work with such different people and and from all over Europe and yeah understand research and business side of the business as well so that's fantastic it's a really good example of like just grabbing an opportunity and and seeing where it takes you Karen did you have something yeah I was just thinking with Nancy talking about that I don't know if she's like me is, is how long you suffer with the imposter syndrome of I'm not very good at this I'm not going to be able to do this um 
I don't think I think we put too much pressure on ourselves as women to be successful I think we all sit there but did you have that moment where you were like I'm going to be terrible they're going to find me out um or you more I, was, I was probably a little bit blase at that point um yeah. it, it was probably about more nerve a lot of practical nerves you know how am I going to ring home and you know running mm-hmm. out of how, how am I going to find a buy a car out there and you know it's a lot of practical issues um yeah I, I think I was quite excited about it at the time but I, yeah I can certainly um agree with that the imposter syndrome as you get promoted and I certainly got examples of that when I got promoted in in a different company so wow they've asked me to do this Are you yeah, sure? yeah. There, there's all these other great guys out there they can all do it why me and it, I remember my director at the time saying because you'll be good at it well, okay <laughs> Yeah, no, it's really good now, sort of within um, it's I'm lucky to see people, maybe that I interview them or that that come into the business or or when we meet people at events and, and network opportunities. And you want to put that confidence in them now as well to kind mm-hmm. of at a young age to be like you can actually do anything if you put yourself forward for it. Um, and maybe we didn't have that as much a long time ago. As I said, I think within Dyke and I've been quite lucky with opportunities, but I've always grasped it I suppose and and work towards that as well and not just hidden in the background I think it all you always um it always depends on who's mentoring you who's kind of um yeah. sees your potential and who encourages you to think positively about yourself as well um so I can think of plenty of examples where uh you know somebody around me has has helped encourage me in in my career and in my decisions that's why we're lucky with the network as well because I think between us we're always inspiring each other and and egging each other on to do things as well so I think outside of work and your day-to-day business that is really important as well what about you Lisa who 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 kind of encouraged you I was just thinking actually I think um for for me there's been a lot of guys around um sort of me coming through construction particularly that did you know did say you can do this have a go at it um quite inspiring uh, people but I'm I'm really grateful for everybody that's done that and, and pushing me for me um I've not had anything like going and working abroad that sounds fantastic so for me that'd be a good thing but um for me it was going and working with kids because I was constantly saying we're not getting we're not getting enough kids through we're not getting enough apprentices through when they come out they're not they're not this and they're not that um and somebody said well go and do something about it and about 12 years ago I started working on the STEM network and STEM ambassador program and it was so far out of my comfort zone. Um, but I actually loved it. And, I, and I've seen that grow. And then this amazing thing last year as well, seeing it grow through that. But I'm, I'm really lucky to have had lots of people that have pushed and supported me, including my mum and dad. What about you? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I say, my mum my was the one that encouraged me into the industry. But I think it's just been the people that I've been around. I've been really fortunate to actually work with some really amazing people, people that are willing to share the knowledge and again, encourage. So I've had a number of mentors over the last few years and they've made a massive difference to my, you know, my abilities, my knowledge, but also like you say, that sort of just support and helping each other. But one thing I would say is, you know, we sort of talk about role models and and what we're doing and what the network are doing at the moment, but there weren't many women in the industry or not that I can remember, I suppose, because we didn't have social media and, and women were, very unlikely to go to the the events as well in the industry so all the dinners and awards it you know it wasn't something that we're used to go to so I guess that, that what I'm trying to say is like that you know it should be easier now for people to see what opportunities are available um, and to connect with people like us to actually you know we can talk about 
you know where you want to go and how you might want to get there so I think yeah that's what sort of really kept me kept me here is the, the people again I also think a big part of uh, we talk about mentors and people that have helped us, but I think it's also important to recognise people that perhaps aren't quite so supportive and to yeah not not allow your energy to be wasted on the negatives on the negativity and just concentrate on what you can do yourself. Um, Yeah, because they are a big part of your career, whether you like it or not. Mm. And yeah, I couldn't agree more, Nancy. I know now I'm nearly 50 and I look back and I think, gosh, I've wasted a lot of time stressing about people at work. I don't, you know, I'm quite happy to say, you know, there are people that have just taken up. They've sucked me dry, quite frankly, you know, at some points in your career. And like Karen was saying, a lot of that has got to do with imposter syndrome. Mm, Definitely. And giving them the power. And I think you're right. And it is a learning curve. It's a real horrible one. I think perhaps you learn how to treat others a little bit and, you know, how you don't want to feel. But it is a part of, um, I think that's really interesting you've mentioned that. I think that is an important part of your career. It's not a pleasant one, but, you know, it does help us grow. But I'm definitely guilty of spending too much time on it. Yeah. And I think also one of the things I've learned through my career is to find, identify your own values and stick with your own value what you feel is right and if somebody's pushing you to behave in a certain way or do a role in a certain way that actually that's not how I want to do it then it won't be right for you you'll be in this constant internal tension I think uh, it's really good to find those positive mentors but it's also good to kind of reflect back on yourself and what's what's helping you and what's not helping (laughs) yeah yeah and I think age is full but I think I'm not saying you're better off when you're older because that's not true But what I'm saying is I think you're perhaps a bit more confident, not for everyone, but it is quite difficult as a young woman in any industry. I've always worked in, I hate this phrase, but, you know, male industries as was. And I think it's really important to support younger people, really. I think it's quite a tough time, you know, in your 20s and stuff. It's not easy. Imposter syndrome is rife, not that. I knew that's what it was in my 20s. I'm, I look at things very different now. I, th- I think probably a lot of us do. And I think it'd be good to share that more with younger people who are not less anything because they're younger. But I think it would help with their confidence if older people shared more. I think we were talking about the other week with um, the, you know, I, I joined the industry at, not that I'm forgetting how old I am. I always link to how long I've been at Daikin. But I was kind of, a late teenager really um early 20s and god I've grown up in it and it's kind of scary when you think back on things you've done or events that you've been at and you've maybe had one or two too many to drink or which many many times but it it was fun and yeah but you feel like you've been brought up within the industry a little bit and it's kind of you want to shake off some of the bad moments but actually yeah no one's looking at exactly what you're doing all the time and thinking oh yeah it's kind of it's it is quite funny to kind of think back on that and think, oh, my God, all this amount of time. But, yeah, it's got it is enjoyable as well. And it's got to be got to be fun throughout that period. And now I'm no more sensible. I just hide it better. <laughs> what was your most embarrassing moment then? Karen? No, <laughs> far too many to talk about from a from a drinking side. Yeah, not so much embarrassing. I just think I, I laugh back to when I first started work and, and really wanted to know everything and. We were talking about, I'm, I never remember if I said it out loud, but looking at my first set of site drawings and 
kind of go oh wow they've got a room for plants when I saw the plant room because yeah I didn't know that that was what it was but um yeah I've said it out loud now it's out there it's fine <laughs> I've learned a lot since but yeah I'm sure we've all got moments like that where uh we've not we won't go into the fax machine one because that really was embarrassing but um yeah Lisa Jane go and share a few <laughs> moments um, that- <laughs> I suppose the, the embarrassing moments are always the, the normally the costume ones aren't they like when you walk into the office with your skirt tucked into your pants <laughs> or <laughs> when we used to wear pencil skirts I once spent to put some paper in the photocopy and mine ripped up the back so it's you know running around to the finance team where there were other women and just saying could someone please go and repair my skirt for me <laughs> getting my fringes on her knees like stitching the back of my skirt together but we, we also talked about maybe some of the funny like um, the WTF moments so where people have said things and you just thought have they really just said that and there's a couple that stick in my mind so one um this has got to be about 15 years ago I was talking to a guy on the phone and he spelt refrigeration for me just in case love that you don't know and I'm thinking do you know you're actually talking to an engineer and even if you weren't I work for a refrigeration company (laughs) like this is it's just utterly appalling um but there's one that really really sticks to my mind really clearly probably about three years ago I was up on a roof in London on a big sort of data center finance place looking at some adiabatic dry coolers and obviously got my work gear on and my hard hat and I'm looking at this machine I'm just checking all the controller and this guy comes over and he's like are you all right love do you know what you're doing and I looked at it looked me in the eye and said no I was just wondering what will happen if I switch this off and his face it's like don't do that <laughs> so you're having a joke with him yeah but it was like no I'm just wandering around with you know hard hat yeah Yeah, just like oh I'm just gonna you know have a little amble around here and I just thought oh my god like people still now I'm sure they see a woman on site think I don't know maybe you're you know there for like marketing take photographs or you're you know just just checking up on them yeah or lost yeah (laughs) where are you actually Sam you saying that that reminds me also my first day at college um I've never really been a girly girl so I had um like colored braids at the time so I had purple hair and I had this rainbow coat and I'd gone and sat down in the workshop and the lecturer looked up and said beauty therapies in the other block club and I was like have you even looked at your register that's dreadful but it was oh. it was fun it was to me I was a bit like oh my god like, this guy hasn't even looked at the register yet he doesn't know he's got on the course but um yeah I'd forgotten all about that actually until you said that um Sam have you got any funny stories um yeah I mean when I first joined this industry I was talking to somebody about technicians and they they did tell me that women couldn't be technicians because they're, they're not strong enough I was like right okay which you know is just you know fantastical really but um I think things like that still bobble up every now and again and I think that is because they actually are quite prevalent I think some people are kind of on their best behavior rather than natural behavior (laughs) but things like that I think because now we're all so encouraging and you know want to see more young people in the industry that stands out more now and I think when I look back those things just really similar to that pop up because I'm so aggrieved by it it just drives me mad but but like you were talking about the events and I know we've all been attending more events over the past few years 
And you can see that there is a much bigger female attendance. In my first event, it was just really very, very few. So that's great. Um, so if we just keep increasing that, that'd be brilliant. But yeah, WTF moments are less, but still stand out. And I don't, you know, love them, but part of me does enjoy them because you just think, wow. Because that's all you can think, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Really? And sometimes you can be bothered. You just pick your battles, don't you? Because sometimes it's like, just let it go. But yeah. Yeah. They are those moments where you just kind of do, you just put it aside and just move on. But I know we're not probably changing attitudes like that. But yeah, sometimes it's not worth wasting energy on, really. Yeah. You pick your battles, right? Mm. And I think with what I recognise now is, is is companies are talking about um, it more and workplace diversity a lot more. But I think it, it can't be that we talk about it because we think we have to, because we think we've got a problem. And it is like we are doing go out and do something and get into schools. And Lisa, yeah. I know you've been a huge advocate for that. And and also with a lot of you, it's amazing. But mm-hmm. it is it, we've got a lot of power behind us it is going out to schools and attracting talent. I think. I feel more now that the heat pump sector with sustainability is a lot more exciting than maybe talking about refrigeration. So hopefully that is the first step that kids know more now about sustainability than we ever did. Um, That's probably quite an exciting opportunity to attract more people and more talent. Yeah. I mean, it's like anything that you're trying to market into somebody. It's trying to find out what motivates them and what they're interested in. Uh, and certainly the sustainability um, agenda is really important to uh, well, to all of us, but particularly to the uh, mm. generation coming through schools at the moment. Yeah, um, and they're so, yeah. very familiar with money and stuff, that you need money to buy nice things. I think they're the, one of the first generations to really appreciate that. So I don't think there's any shame in actually highlighting that you can earn good money, to put it really base, but you can have a great career in engineering but if they're not aware of it, do you think it's okay to highlight that? What do you mean? Highlight the, the, the earning potential? Oh, I think, yeah. I think that's really important for youngsters. You know, eventually they all want to be able to figure out if they can afford the nice car or, or even buy, buy a house. Hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I, I don't think there's a problem in that. It's, it's the reason I went straight to work and didn't go to university was I just um, wanted to earn my own money and go out at the weekends and eventually buy a nice watch. Yeah, <laughs> shallow, really. Um, still doing that, but um, yeah, I think that was it. That was what was important to me. I was lucky that I did my degree at, at thirty six, which was was not in engineering at all, um, within psychology, and did that with Open University. And I think because I earned my money and I was in a position, I was able to go and pay to do that myself. And it was more again a proof to myself that I was capable of getting a degree, really. It's a really good way of of getting your education done as well, isn't it? Because you've got to a point in your life where you're already fairly comfortable that you've bought a property and that you've got a job. And so then you're not thinking, you know, I've got to pay all these fees to go to university plus find some money to live on and then spend the next 20, 25 years really slogging to try and pay off a loan. You know, you're sort of doing it the other way around. So, you know, already know what your kind of path is, maybe what. And I know Lisa's gone now, but she's going to she's going to be an engineer next in the next couple of years. By the (laughs) sounds of it. Yeah. When I completed it, everyone was like, oh, what are you going to do next? And it was like nothing. It was just it was more about the education bit. I knew what I wanted to do in life. I wasn't there sitting. What path do I go? It was just something 
different to do I think and just something to learn more yeah I think it is important I think as well there's a lot put on um having a university degree I mean I was really really encouraging for my son to do it and I felt a lot better knowing that he had got that because I didn't have a degree Hmm. um so and I think it you know more and more that's what employers want and my mum did a degree in her 50s so I know that it's you know really possible to do and it's never too late but yeah I think because I don't have one I really was panicking that my son wouldn't get one but in actual fact we've got an industry here that promotes a successful career through apprenticeships and you know your path Karen you know you don't you can get it later but you can also get and roll in I mean obviously you know working class kids and stuff this is a great option for them you know and it is you can develop your career based on experience not just getting in in the first place it's often that attitude and I certainly recruit people when I talk to them for that attitude and wanting to get on and want to learn rather than I don't even think I get to the education page to be honest it's kind of more about the people and and what they want to do. I mean it's a good backup when I look at CVs and we're interviewing it is you know it's great to see they've got a degree but their experience is equally if not more important it all paints a picture but I know there's a lot of adverts you see now and you can't get anywhere without the degree so that's quite a big thing for us to a positive thing for this industry to have that you don't have to have that to start out and it opens that discussion as well of what you do with what age do girls and um, boys as well get more interested in that engineering element and wanting their degree to be in mechanical engineering or, Mm -hmm. or something rather than something else entirely and I, I know probably Sam and Lisa Jane a lot of experience in that area where you talk with school children what sort of age do you think is the right target that we should be aiming for? When we're talking about I suppose career choices I mean now there's options when they're at senior school to take those hands-on qualifications as well so they can do the lower level MVQs um, and BTEC so that they're not tied to a traditional t- GCSE anymore there's other options to them And those can be very specific to the career that they may want to do. So I actually think, you know, get get in there when they're at juniors, infants at juniors, and we do the fun stuff that we do with with STEMazing. But actually, once they've gone maybe into their second year at seniors, that's a really good time to start engaging and talking about careers because they have an opportunity in year nine to then choose a vocational qualification over perhaps, you know, something more traditional. So the education system is definitely changing and it is more inclusive for sure, because, you know, we have to acknowledge that not everybody really enjoys that, that sort of formal exam environment and and everything being a written based, you know, qualification. And a lot of people have got hands-on skills, you know, and they can translate those into something that will actually add real value in the real world. So I am quite a big advocate of those sort of vocational and obviously having done an apprenticeship myself and I have, Mm -hmm no higher level qualifications at all I just did my apprenticeship and that was it and I mean we're crying out for hands-on skills in the industry aren't we if you look at if you look purely at the heat pump targets number of heat pumps we need to go into domestic properties you know we need a projected 26,000 new heat uh, heat pump engineers in in the next four years so you know where they're going to come from yeah. um, 
yeah so you know we, we need to be able to create the or help people understand there's different career paths to take and different routes to take you don't just have down the traditional tertiary education routes and yeah there, there's some great opportunities coming along from that as well yeah and the opportunity to you know if you're a heat pump engineer the opportunity to potentially travel and learn abroad as well you know you look at the big markets in Scandinavia or Germany you know you could go and learn some of those skills there and bring them back so all kinds of opportunities for youngsters actually um it's sort of I'm going to go sideways a little bit but Nancy talking about the number of heat pump engineers that we need and something that's been discussed quite a lot recently is you know our heat pumps an RACHP HVAC type of thing or actually do we need domestic heating engineers to be doing these jobs and actually we need we need both to work together and actually both sectors are suffering the same you know shortage of people coming into their industries and the skills gap is a very real problem across both you know so we've, we've got to find those engineers between us so we need to work more closely with these people and I think again that's where the sort of activities that we're doing as a network and connecting with people is really important for the future. Yeah absolutely I mean if you take a a, a traditional uh, fossil fuel boiler installer installing oil or gas they they're working in people's homes day in day out they understand the customer the householder they understand their wants and their needs but maybe they've still got quite a journey to take in terms of understanding the refrigeration cycle and the needs and the wants of a heat pump technology itself so that's where the uh, traditional um, you know refrigeration skills come into play so definitely the market is going to need both sets of skills and I think partnerships will possibly arise from that and also uh, the ability to cross you know learn across your different technology skill sets and, and yeah move in to help deliver ultimately deliver this solution and decarbonize domestic heating <laughs> which is the biggest issue we've got in terms of decarbonizing uh, decarbonizing UK. It is. But I think that it, it just goes a long way to highlight, actually, that, you know, there are a lot of opportunities available. And like you say, 26,000 engineers is a lot of people to find. And you don't necessarily have to stick to one field. You know, we need a diverse pool of talent. So, you, you know, there really are just enough opportunities for everybody. You know, anybody's got a wish or a dream to get involved in engineering, then, you know, we've got to start showing them what we've got on offer and that they can play a part in the, the future and decarbonising our, our homes. Yeah. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit or we touched on the where's top 50 women this morning. And obviously that's it's incredible for all those women. So many amazing women out there. And I absolutely love like this day every year when all these names get announced and we get to see all these new inspiring people that are coming through. But the thing this year is innovators and inventors. Does anybody have someone that they was particularly interested by or passionate about, you know, a story that you want to share about an innovator or an inventor? don't know if I've got an innovator or an inventor, but the person that probably influenced me a bit in this, well, quite a bit in this industry was my granddad. So as a, as a little girl we, at, Sunday, uh, at Sunday lunch, he used to sit there for hours talking about his days designing and manufacturing uh, military equipment for the second during the Second World War and just after the Second World War. You know, and he was always just full of fun stories about what was going on in the, what used to happen in the drawing office, how things used to fall apart, and <laughs> how they used to build and put them back together again. So perhaps not an inventor, but uh, yeah, definitely somebody who helped inspire my, my interest in engineering. Well, engineers are innovators, really, aren't they? You know, we're, we're solution people problem solvers so everything that we do is innovation really it's really nice that you had that I think again we we talk about this often but everybody's probably has got a role model so Karen who who would be your 
role model? Yeah, I think probably not even so much role models that brought me into the industry, but really probably where I've been the last sort of five years working with, with you guys as a group of people. Um, and I even remember when we first met and uh, Jacinta Caden, who's, who's part of the group, and she got her picture out of her as a toddler in Ireland fixing a washing machine. Um, and, and I loved that because it was, I love, would love to have looked at what she was like at that age. Was she interested in it? Where I, I kind of think back and can't really remember what I was doing. But yeah, I think working with, with the people we work with, one of the, the people that I worked quite closely with within my Beck role was Ant Wilson as well, who brilliant at talking to people and engaging people with various different subjects within, certainly within consultancies and loved listening to him. And he was part of my thought process as I became a, a full IOR member as well, because I kind of thought I can do this. So yeah, probably not so much coming into it because it was very much, I need a job. But yeah, I think within it, the people I work with and, and certainly working with this group of people as well, just inspire me every day. What about you, Sam? Um, yeah, I'd have to jump on that with Karen. This group's really made a massive difference to my whole career in this industry. I don't know what everyone in the group does. You know, you see their skills come out. But what I love about it is that we get together and we are a group of people and we have an idea and we roll with it and we want to do it. And everyone is quite, I feel, trustworthy of everyone yeah. on the team. And they just all seem to be on a level which is great I feel really glad that I've had this opportunity in our industry I think when it comes to people who've inspired me I, I'd probably say Lisa Pogson particularly on this group because like she was saying earlier she started really in admin and I think uh, role models that start in admin and go on to do bigger things because you quite often hear oh yeah they're just admin or yeah, she just arranges the meetings and you you know I've had a career of that and that's fine I'm over it now but you know that's something that when I was younger used to really annoy me but to see somebody like Lisa go from somebody who dealt with the administration side of things to be so incredibly successful like she said today but there was also an engineer at Arup um, called Dervla Mitchell and she's now the joint deputy chair of Arup. And she did a presentation as part of our Connect Women there to speak about her career because it's just massive. But what I really found really inspiring and really stayed with me was that she was real honest that she had the family and she had the children. But she said she couldn't have had this amazing career without her partner, without her husband. And she was really open with acknowledging that. And I just thought that was so refreshing that a woman felt comfortable to say, yeah, I've been really lucky. I am successful, but I couldn't physically have done it if I hadn't had the support at home. And I think a lot of women, I do believe you can have it all that you want if you work hard. But I really don't believe that you can do it all on your own. And I think the women that do are amazing, absolutely amazing. But I think that's something that women have to deal with that maybe less so now, but men historically have not had to deal with. And it's not just about having children. It's about maybe parents or friends that, you know, you're very close to that you need to look after. Anything like that. It doesn't have to be traditional. But she was so blatant about he does the dinners and things that need doing. 
if you've got a packed lunch to grab in the morning, that's a hell of a lot different than if you're making your own and everybody else's. And I think that that honesty and that she's gone on now to be deputy chair, but she didn't shy away from it. She she didn't pretend that it was easy. And, everything. Yeah. and I think I quite like that change that people are now acknowledging that they, it's not just about work. You do have a life. Everybody's got a life. Um, that's how we've we've sort of changed really in the last three years for obvious reasons that you won't mention. But I think it's really important, Sam. I I would say I hold a lot of guilt sometimes if I'm away working or working late and mm-hmm. and I don't have a family to look after at home. My other half's here, the dog. But you, you that's hold a family, person, Karen. Yeah, you hold a personal guilt of oh God, I'm not going to cook dinner tonight, or oh I'm not going to do this, or I'm going to I need to be away for three days. Mm. And, and same, very lucky to have had someone maybe because he met me when I was already in my job and that was always something I did that it's not anything to feel guilty about it's yeah it's all right I'll start he'll just sort himself out and no one that's there at home kind of thinking well what do you mean you're away so I've been very lucky in that really I totally agree with that and that you know I always talk about the support from my husband as well it's interesting Sam that you've mentioned that so you know he's the one who's got the dinner on the table when I've come in at nine o'clock at night and he's making my sandwiches for me for the next day because I need to get back on the computer and yeah I I wouldn't be or have achieved or done the things I've done without his support at all Um, yeah I'm absolutely sure about and it doesn't have to be a husband does it it could be a friend who you see it could be you know your mum but yeah. or it could be that you are actually amazing and you are managing it all <laughs> on your own. But it's hard. It's it is hard. Yeah. And that acknowledgement is another thing, Nancy, to be honest and say, I, I am single. I'm doing it on my own. I've got kids or whatever as well. Or I'm just single. I'm just me. But it's hard. Sometimes you're really tired. Right. Yeah. You just start and you juggle those balls and. That's where I think women supporting women is a growing thing. And I'd just love to see that grow more. So Definitely. Very interesting points. Karen, I was just thinking that back to your point just a minute ago that you mentioned about the lady who uh, you, she dragged out a photograph of her as quite a young child with a, with a spanner or, or fixing, fixing something. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't quite like that, but I do remember on my uh, on my bedroom wall, I had posters of a Harrier jump jet GR5 when I was 14, <laughs> and everybody else had Spando Bali and, and Duran Duran. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was always passionate and interested in planes. <laughs> and uh, my dad was always taking me off to air shows and uh, off to Heathrow when, when you could do it at that time, stand on top of Terminal 2 and watch the planes come in and go out. So that was always my passion as a teenager. It's quite common that engineers have been influenced by a family member, isn't it? And that, you know, you've mentioned your granddad, you've mentioned your dad, you know, really important influences. That's very common. And they probably don't realise it. Yeah, it's only when you're talking about it, isn't it, that the things start to come out. And probably the reason with me going straight into work was my dad was a a painter and decorator, worked for years with what was the Abbey National, sort of decorating all those branches. It was more the case that he wouldn't let me go and work with him because he didn't want me to be a a decorator like him. But he was the person that I probably looked at and thought, but I still want to go and get a job and Mm -hmm. and earn money. So, yeah, it's quite funny. The more you talk about it, the more you think, actually, yeah, that is what you inspired realize, me really you realize yeah. how you were in the youngster yeah hence this amazing academy that we've been doing hey lisa going into the schools i mean you do a lot of stem lisa i mean it's so important isn't it it is and actually i find it really rewarding so i keep 
saying this to people like it it might seem and especially when you start it it can be quite tiring because you do have to prepare for a class and then you've got to put yourself in front of say 25 30 children and when they're seven or eight years old they're always full of beans anything that's hands-on and slightly out of the norm for that you know they they have their regular activities they do every day if they're not doing math and they're actually making something then they get really excited so it really does wear you out but actually connecting with them and seeing even just over the six weeks because we do six 30 minute sessions just seeing how their attitudes towards women in STEM roles change because they see you then as a role model and I know we always keep coming back to this but you can't be what you can't see and I know we you know we do keep saying that but it is very true mm-hmm. and and that sort of goes back to what you guys were saying like everybody has someone who influenced them and you know that that might be a family member and more often than not it is but that could also be a teacher or you know that one activity that you mm-hmm. did at school and that's what I kind of hope even if of you know out of the thousands of kids that I've already spoke to, if one or two of them decides to do engineering, I think we've won. And that's what we've just got to keep pushing it. Yeah. I think I, I wish I knew that that was an option, you know, when I, when I was younger, because yeah. it wasn't really something that I thought about. It wasn't what I wanted to do as a career. And although my mum was an engineer, I still don't think, I just don't know why it just wasn't in my mind that that was really an option for me. Mm-hmm. So it's like I say, it's just keep telling people what's what's available for them. Yeah, I think yeah. Like we were talking about when I was at school, it was quite divisive in what subjects the girls did and what the boys did. And I made soup and did sewing and things like that. Whereas, yeah, the boys were off cutting up bits of wood and, and doing all sorts of things. So it's great that that's changed so much now that to think back then, it just seems crazy, doesn't it? That I wasn't allowed to play football or I wasn't allowed like to play football either. Uh, netball and hockey and that was it. <laughs> standard yeah no wonder we have a problem <laughs> we do it's funny you say that actually because I, I have always been a bit of a rebel and I've always pushed back against you know people tell me that I can't do something I'm like I'm yeah. doing that and um I actually wanted to play rugby and my school wouldn't allow it so I just kicked off and made a fuss until I was allowed to play rugby and actually got a group of girls together to actually you know so we could just do that as our sports hour and we weren't allowed to play other schools you know there wasn't anybody else to play but we could mm-hmm. just get together and you know, just run about the field and enjoy ourselves. Totally, absolutely. And I think that's why STEM is just so good, because like you say, I didn't know be anything other than um, a secretary sort of thing. There's nobody to blame for that. That's just the way things were. And that's fine, because, you know, people need good PAs. That's good. But I really would have liked to have done something mechanical, I think. I think that's why I promote it so much now. Nobody came into my school that I remember and caught my attention. So I think it's, you know, so good that you do so much of that, Lisa, and Lisa Pogson, you know, does absolutely tons of it. Because it might just be that one person that sticks with them and makes them think, you know, okay, they might not do engineering, but they might think, oh, actually, I don't have to do stuff that it's assumed that I'll do. Well, that's what's important. And I know part of the thing with in WED is that imagine the future as well. And we're kind of doing that for other people because maybe we didn't do it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, as Lisa Jane, as you said, more people you can inspire like that. And hopefully, someone in twenty years says that Lisa Jane Cook got me into the uh, <laughs> the RACHP sector. Yeah, but you've done it, Nancy. In terms of you have done the engineering, you did do yeah. the alternative to what we were told and stuff. So that's fantastic. That's yeah. you know that's a great achievement. But it was yeah, and I, 
it's it's strange you say it because I don't feel that, but I, I realise, you know, especially in that listening to you, how lucky I was to have those influences. And uh, one of my other big influence was my mum. She worked on an initiative in the mid in the mid eighties, which was um, uh, oh, what did she call it? A year in industry. That was what it was called. A promotional nineteen eighty six year in industry. And part of her role was to go and get uh, and encourage youngsters to do engineering at university. So I think her being part of that. Um, kind of rubbed off um, yeah. and she, she was there helping me when I was doing later on when I was doing my A-levels helping me write letters to uh, companies looking for sponsorship and things like that she kind of had a bit of an inside learning but mm-hmm. you only know this stuff because you've got people around you to, to show yeah. you or tell you so that's why your work with with the STEM stuff is so important like you say be another person another contact point and somebody else showing you there's, a, there's something else out there that you might be interested in. Yeah and maybe even the fact that we go into more I think we're going to more deprived schools, don't we, Lisa? We did on when I did my course. So, you know, just emphasizing that, you know, kids might come from real hardworking families yeah. and I no doubt they do, but they might not know that there's more to it if they can look at their options. I'm, I feel quite strongly about that. And I always think that if if your first chosen idea isn't possible for some reason, there's always something else. So, you know, my my dream job, as I said, was to be a fighter pilot in the RAF. But, you know, I couldn't do that because I was half an inch too small. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And and I was a woman. They weren't weren't letting women fight at the time. Of course. We're so emotional, right? Yeah. But (laughs) apart, apart from that. So. Yeah. Okay. Then I thought, well, okay, well, what else could I do? And I looked at electrical engineering and mechanical engineering. And that's, you know, so I think that's part of it as well. You might be interested in X, but just because that door might not be quite open to you, there's other things that might, that might be possible. And it's only by talking to people and, um, and discussing with other people that that becomes obvious. Yeah. So your work's really important. (laughs) What you guys are doing (laughs) going in there. So um, somehow we've we've ended up at pretty much an hour. Just <laughs> we like talking. Just, yeah, and yeah, and I suppose that's the problem, is it? Women talk too much. So yeah, we've we've said yeah. it now. <laughs> so, um, I just wanted to um, wrap up. I I was looking over the last little week, like I say, with the focus of Inwed is um, innovators and inventors. So I was looking, and I'm thinking, right. So I want to know about women inventors and innovators because you know we don't see a lot of them it's not a lot of media coverage and so I started looking I was thinking well I really want someone who's who's cool that you know it's gonna be really good for us to share and I found someone and she actually shares a name with one of our (laughs) one of our guests on the podcast so her name is Nancy Johnson and in 19 not 19 1843 she invented a crank paddle system that revolutionized ice cream making Oh, great. So I love an ice cream. So apparently up until 1843, to make ice cream, you had to literally use a spoon and turn it in a pot, a frozen pot, until it turned to ice cream. So it would take four hours. And it was always a woman's job as well to do this turning of this, the cream, until it turned to ice cream. And so Nancy Johnson from Philadelphia transformed this when she applied this hand-cranked ice cream freezer machine. And it actually meant that they could make ice cream in 45 minutes. So I just wanted to share that because I, that I'd never amazing. heard of her before. Yeah. That's, so that's a lovely brilliant. story. That's great. Such an important job. <laughs> Such an important job. So she took a weight off women, but she also revolutionised ice cream. So I think yeah. she should be one of our cooling champions. Yeah, Definitely. totally. Yeah. Well done, Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's a fantastic story thanks lisa jane <laughs> i love that it just it, you know when a name comes up and you're like oh, i want to see what she did yeah. and then i'll see ice cream and i'm like this is perfect absolutely brilliant <laughs> so um yeah we do we have to go now because we have been an hour so um i just want to say thank you to everybody for joining us um and lisa p obviously she's had to disappear um we'll definitely get her back to hear a bit more about her story on one of the other podcasts Definitely, yeah. Thank you, everyone. And thank you for making it such a, a pleasant hour as well. Um, nice talking to everyone. Thank you for everyone yeah, that um, took the time to listen to our, our first episode of States of Matter. Um, also, special thanks to Lisa Waters in the background doing all the technical stuff and just yes. allowing us to talk and not worrying about every everything. She really is the, uh, the hero behind the scenes. Um, the podcast will be available on the IOR website um, and also the series as we record them with on, on Podbean. Um, so please keep an eye out on social media if you want to listen again, but also to see what's next. And, and please share with your colleagues as well and, and spread that network for us. Um, you will find us on LinkedIn as well um, at the group IOR Women in RACHP, a network of um, over 870 women and allies as well that yeah we share any sort of industry news so we'd welcome you along there and also if you have ever thought about becoming a member of the IOR and maybe thought oh it's not for me I'm, I'm not too sure please look again and, and contact any of us by direct mail through LinkedIn or, or email just if you wanted some more information or help with that as well but um, yeah thank you again everyone happy International Women in Engineering Day thank you for listening and we'll see you soon.